Well, this week I'm going to talk about uh, Flutter again. I'm really excited about Google's uh, product. Flutter is uh, a framework uh, used to render a programming language called Dart. And uh, one of the nice things I've noticed about Dart is that it has that same familiarity as C Sharp. A lot of the expected behaviors uh, that you're, you're, you've come to expect with uh, C Sharp or JavaScript is found in Dart. Um, like for example, I found it really interesting that the Dart syntax was so concise. And I would have expected that in an object-oriented language. Um, particularly when uh, I was building uh, card widgets. So the way um, that was done is there you build your class and uh, and then through web API you can make a, a network call uh, an HTTP call to your web API and do a get uh, that's going to return back to you a JSON string and uh, then you take that JSON string and convert it into um, a list of, of um, collection a collection list so you have you have your common collection types. You got stack, you got queue, you got uh, uh, you got list, and uh, you have map. And uh, map is equivalent to uh, dictionary in C sharp. So once you get your list created, then you would expect to be able to uh, for each over that. In other words, you have an enumerable i enumerable type um, or an i queryable type. And, uh, and you would expect to uh, be able to enumerate over that through a for each function. And that's exactly what Dart was capable of doing. So I was really excited about that. Uh, it, it seemed to uh, meet my expectations of enumeration. Uh, because that's gonna be a, that'll be a common theme through your data manipulation is that you're going to get a collection uh, and then you're gonna do something with that collection. And uh, I did notice that uh, the Google team has really put a lot of thought into the process of async versus synchronous. Now everything in Dart uh, is asynchronous. So that means that if you have to, uh, you have a process that you don't want to start before another process starts, you, you'll have to await it. Uh, so they, they, they do uh, the, the, uh, future they call it future and uh, you know like uh, I think in JavaScript it was uh, promises so you would then you would then await uh, until the the process is complete and then return control back to the application <clears throat> um, if you are gonna run things like in C sharp if you are gonna run things in parallel then what you would do is you would set up a task and, uh, and then you would uh, put the task, uh, list of tasks, either in an array of tasks and then await that array, or you would, uh, um, you would uh, enumerate each one of the tasks individually. So if you had task one, two, and three, then uh, if task one took 50 milliseconds, task two took 10, 
task three took uh, 30 milliseconds, your total performance time for the task would be 50 milliseconds. So the arrival would be uh, 30, uh, 40, and then 50 millisecond uh, threads. And, uh, and then it would, the control would be passed on to the application. What that allows for is extremely efficient uh, processing, uh, context switching. Um, so you've heard of the philosopher sitting around the table and each person gets a piece of the pie. And, and, uh, but what you don't realize is that that, that administration cost of the context switching is very expensive. So if you have a large number of uh, mutexes that are awaiting resources, uh, what happens in that process is that there's a lot of administrative overhead. And so the more threads you get contending for resource, uh, the slower your processes uh, become. So by allowing resources to be shared, you have less deadlock, less contention, and uh, faster, faster, um, faster response on this, the servicing of those of that process. So it looks like the Dart runs a lot of their code in a process. You can create separate processes using the compute function. <coughs> and uh, and uh, that, that then would allow you to take advantage of uh, multi-core machines. And I think that's what's going to be happening more is, is that uh, that maybe the service architecture of Android is going to become more popular um, as, uh, as um, the future goes is that you can take advantage of the multi-core machine and uh, these handheld devices will have multi-core and so the way that the iOS gets around this because they're they do everything in threads um, is that uh, they have uh, under under the architecture they have uh, a single thread that's uh, or a process that's handling all of all of their uh, event functions calls, and so going back to this multi-threading, it's uh, it can uh, you have one set of code in Dart, and uh, that's being handled uh, the same way in iOS as in Android. Uh, the architectures are different, but from the universal standpoint, from your coding standpoint, Dart, um, everything is asynchronous. So that's a kind of a, a cool effect. You can uh, think of this as kind of like an operating system. Operating system has one loop, uh, it has a uh, event loop handler, and uh, as messages come in to the operating system from the client, uh, the server then reads the message and processes and creates uh, resources like uh, key uh, keyboard uh, mouse uh, messages, uh, video display messages, resize messages. Um, there's a, like a lot of, it's like a complex messaging queue system inside Windows and, and uh, different things are allocated, uh, different priorities to run and, uh, and so in, in a way, Dart has done something similar underneath. Uh, you have functions, and as those functions are being called, uh, they're being handled simultaneously, asynchronously. Um, and then when you need to, like if you were making a network call to an HTTP web API endpoint, then you would need to await it. Okay, so enough on that.
Um, so then what happens is you you create a, a, a widget, a card widget, and uh, uh, you have a the card widget is passed the class through the constructor, and uh, this is a very important concept in uh, Dart programming is that you're passing information from the parent to the child through the constructor. Now they have uh, inherited widget classes which are fairly complex, but uh, what that, that class allows you to do is uh, call different methods from uh, and access different uh, data properties based on uh, class type widget uh, in the uh, widget tree hierarchy. So Dart, what it does is it creates a, a root node and then underneath the root node you have children widgets and they can have children widgets and so you can create this tree structure and through this inherited widget type you can access uh, widgets higher up in the uh, hierarchy based on their their type and so super powerful it's very difficult at first when you see it to understand um, what you do is just watch uh, Google's presentation on it and uh, and it's almost as if you can it's treated like a filter on those higher uh, level widgets because based on those types uh, it will then extract out that particular type into either a collection or some sort of way to reference that parent object and then you can access those attributes inside those classes so it's um, you know they don't have segues like uh, uh, iOS for passing information you pass it through either the constructor or through this uh, usage of this inherited widget on type so th this week was very productive in terms of uh, of uh, development and understanding uh, the Dart hierarchy. Probably uh, next week I'll talk more about um, the applications I'm building. But uh, so going back to the card widget, then you take your constructor and you map that into uh, different uh, component types. Like if you have a text box or if you have, uh, uh, if you're loading up some data, example you might have images or check boxes all the different types of controls that we've become common are uh, familiar with in terms of user interface are available and uh, the card uh, is nice because that's kind of a, a standard look and feel where you have an image and you have a text a large text and then you have a detailed description so um, and that's a pattern for quickly identifying information that you are interested in and relevant to what you're looking for. And uh, that's an important principle when you're designing in mobile or web now is to remember that uh, data builds quality. So um, you can now, through different components, uh, see lots, a lot more information in summarized form uh, that tell and, and indicate different trends and um, uh, are, are very important for getting a bigger picture of what's going on. And uh, one, one, uh, one component I thought was really 
good in VI that I, I've liked is uh, heat maps um, where they can show you uh, based on the tile and the category and then whatever you're aggregating it can it can create this hierarchy of data and then in this aggregated form kind of give you a either counts or sums and uh, then you can see uh, where high performing areas in your business are then combined with that they've created now the sunburst and I like that one because uh, it's also hierarchical and as you further you move out on the radius of the uh, each layer uh, is a different uh, level in the hierarchy and so you can aggregate on that too these type of uh, visual communication charts are going to be really important as you develop in Dart. You're going to want to uh, look for libraries that have this kind of visual capability and then uh, 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 utilize them in displaying data. And uh, so the way I, I like to do it is have a, a visual as much as possible in the high level and then uh, you could have nav use the navigator to uh, move to more detail so always start at kind of this high level summary tell a story through the data and then have some key indicators that might be interesting to the business and if they want to see more detail then they can click on that and drill down so what I'm proposing is that uh, that uh, business intelligence is going to move from the desktop to the mobile app. It's, it's inevitable. People are on the move. They need to see the information quicker. And uh, they, they're going to want to do searches and ask questions. And so uh, one of the things that uh, is very important is natural language processing. And fortunately for us, Google has uh, thought about the same thing. And uh, they have built a Firebase ML kit, and it has natural language processing, it has text recognition, it has object recognition, and uh, very importantly, it has uh, translation capabilities. So you can translate from one language to another. Uh, you can take your text pipeline and feed that into a translation, and you can translate from one language to another and display that. So, very important technology that's being developed. Um, and, I, and, you know, you look at the, uh, the problems of having to type while you're driving, uh, and you need to see some information quickly, or, or you need to hear some information quickly, which uh, taking text to speech is going to be very important. And uh, the way that can be done is it could... Um, do the natural language processing and then you have a message loop that's running in your application that's looking for certain action keywords and then based on those action keywords it could be calling uh, web API calls on the server and the web API calls on the server could be accessing data hubs and the data hubs then are dynamically creating SQL and the SQL then is returning back aggregate data that is uh, formed in the form of JSON, which is brought back to the application. And then the text is then uh, either displayed in the graphic or um, 
a, I, I, the way I got this kind of idea is I was talking to a friend and he was telling me that he has all this BI stuff on his desktop, but uh, that he never has time to go to sit down and analyze his customers because he's talking to 125 customers a day and he needs to have something that's available on the move. And so people are very active in their business work day. You could be in a meeting, you could be uh, on the road, you could be in a plane, and, uh, and you need information immediately. And it needs to come in a form that's just relevant and actionable. So that's where the natural language processing comes in really well. Is it takes parts of speech, breaks it apart. You could get the what questions, you could get the action uh, verbs, uh, you could get the nouns and direct objects. And so that allows for that allows for uh, uh, better uh, better synthesis of the data, and uh, with uh, deep learning, these routes the the art AI could be used for uh, accessing machine learning or deep learning networks that you have on the server, and so what what you're really doing. With the deep learning is um, that it is finding function in the data. So is these classifiers uh, are trying to either uh, identify features and based on these features have predictable outcomes. So you have, still have the black box uh, process where you have information going in and then you have some sort of output coming out that's responding to uh, to that in information, and uh, and so that could be fed by voice uh, to the neural net, and then you, you know the, you could have a neural net routing capability to detect pattern, and then it could then be running uh, other neural net classifiers on the server and then providing uh, you know that wide range of uh, functionality that um, that you uh, want on your device so that's kind of like the long-term trend I think that uh, uh, I like to see I like to see more of uh, AI moved to the application uh, to the app to the mobile devices, and uh, and it it should be kind of fun, you know. the The nice thing about the mobile is you you have a limited real estate, but you have very good user interaction uh, capabilities. You have list views that you can scroll. You have single view pages where you, your content is uh, just being displayed on one page. You have uh, top bar navigation, you have bottom bar navigation for easy uh, navigation back to key uh, junctions. Um, you have the hamburger menu system where you can click on that and uh, use that to access different uh, uh, navigation components. Now let me talk to you a little bit about um, Dart navigation because this is kind of... Uh, Interesting. Interesting. You can have direct material routing where 
you, it puts the view on the stack and uh, then you, you add uh, different views onto that stack and then when you navigate back off the stack it pops the view off the stack and uh, disposes of that resource. And uh, for simple applications where you're, you just have uh, one view navigating to another view, that uh, will work perfectly fine. As your application gets more complex, you want to set up name routing uh, so that you can parameter pass between uh, the, the different routes, paths. And the, the way you do that is that you create a named route and uh, when the main application widget is being defined, you have an onGenerate route property and then you set that to a named route uh, class. And in there, you it has basically a message processing center where depending on the route that is being uh, requested will determine the widgets that are loaded. So you can either load up a, a page widget and uh, uh, and it would have its app bar and it would have its body and then it would have uh, uh, bottom navigation and then that and then that widget then would get loaded in on the stack and uh, rendered by Flutter. So routing in the simplistic form, which I have here, uh, is either done directly or through named routing. And uh, then when you call it, you call navigator dot push named route, and then give it the uh, route and uh, the parameter. You, your parameter would be a slash colon uh, curly brace ID curly brace, and so. Uh, you can then uh, take that the, the value uh, and of the ID which is defined in the widget and uh, it will tokenize that into the string that will be passed to the, the routing class, named routing class. So these are nice components that Google has built for us. They made it really simple. Um, then you can have your your, your route com widget class. You can put that into a package, and then as your application grows, you just add more routes to it. And uh, because you won't know all the routes, it's going to be dynamic. So you can add more routes, and then you can have hierarchies of routes uh, to. So you might say customer, and then uh, you can have an ID, and then you might have customer. Orders, so you just like customer orders, and so you could have paths that, that you access. And they, you know, your RESTful calls um, are um, RESTful calls are the get, the put, the patch, the add, and delete. And um, those RESTful calls would uh, be represented in, in the uh, routing paths. And 
So then you, based on your HTTP type, you can do an HTTP type post. Sorry, I said add, it's post. Uh, post, you can do a put, which is your update. You can do a delete, which is delete. And uh, you can do put, patch, which is uh, uh, a partial update. So uh, inside of uh, inside of Dart, there's also components for partially rendering, and uh, I haven't uh, worked with them. I did read about it a little bit, and I'll talk about that probably next week. But there's ways to uh, improve your efficiency of the device. The device is refreshing about 60 frames a second. And uh, you may need to get the refresh to be faster. Uh, so by doing by more efficient uh, parsing of the of the components that need to be re-rendered. Um, I also found that uh, there was there's lots of uh, okay. So the next piece is data entry. How to do that? And uh, that one's kind of interesting because you have a widget, and then your widgets you add, you have a text field form. You, so you have a form that, uh, and then you're going to put components in that form. And uh, and then when you have a button event, it'll click, and you click that, and uh, that will cause a uh, action to occur. And uh, that action may uh, include gathering the data from the form, converting that to a class, and from the class, converting that to JSON string, and then sending that JSON string to the web API for processing, where you wait uh, a, a response, of maybe a 200, and that'll tell you that everything's good and okay, and uh, then you can continue on it after making your asynchronous call. So, uh, data forms are gonna be very important to you, collecting it. Um, you have date pickers, which are great, because it'll look, uh, have that standard look and feel on the iOS side and on the Android side, and, uh, and also on the Chrome side. And, um, and then you have dialog boxes that can come up, and you have uh, modals, modeless, and, and the passing information to those dialog boxes is through the constructors. And see, these are just really easy ways to do development. It's like a real application for development. That's why I love Dart. I think that it will quickly replace Angular and React and, and uh, C Sharp and Python. Uh, because it's just uh, a well-designed language and uh, the packages are easy to import it import and, uh, and and because it is scalable uh, it's go it's going to be it will be a preferred language for usage on the server side as well as on the client and uh, it's just going to do a lot more for you faster and because you can import these packages, you can reuse a lot of code that other developers have built, and uh, there's a good community support system 
for uh, talking to people about what you want to build. And so you spend less time trying to figure out the class interactions and inheritance, and you spend more time uh, uh, creatively figuring out how to bring together different components and control the layout of those components. Um, they have a lot of different properties like you can set like with uh, boxes you can have like uh, raised box buttons and then you can evenly space between them. You can separate them whether it causes them to go to one side or another. You can put spacers in between them and uh, then you can put uh, even spaces. You has the same amount of uh, empty space between each component. You can change the orientation. Uh, you can edge inset uh, top, left, bottom, right, or all. Um, you can you can set uh, properties only on specific uh, um, edges or you can do it on all. And so, you know, the properties, uh, there's lots of them because it's object-oriented, but over time, um, they will create tools and then you just, uh, you get to see visually how these properties are affecting your component widget. And, and uh, you know, you start getting, you do a couple tutorials and you, you learn how the widgets work and then you start feeling comfortable about how to control them. Now the, the real hard part is that uh, you can have either a child or children widgets and uh, children widgets are uh, syntaxes with brackets. So you'd say bracket, you'd say children colon uh, less than widget, greater than widget uh, bracket and then you would uh, list out your, your widgets in there and they can be in lists or they can uh, be constructed individually and so there's a lot just like JavaScript there's a lot of uh, bracket uh, paren curly brace semicolon you know you have those uh, standard closure patterns that you have to watch for but what's nice inside uh, Visual Studio Code and Android Editor is that they put the comments at the closure of the syntax, and so you can see, okay, my scaffolding's just ended, all right, my app bar's just ended, oh, my body's just ended, and and so if there is a compiler error, you, you know kind of where the error occurred, and you can go check your syntax and correct it. Um, they also have performance analysis, haven't spent much time on that, but I did see that uh, you can launch that inside of a browser and it'll kind of tell you uh, performance stats. Um, on your widget yourself, there's some uh, components analysis, performance analysis that can be revealed, uh, turned on, and uh, you can see it. Now a lot of the dependency information is uh, put in what they call PubSec, and this is where if you have uh, different packages you're going to bring into your application that you put in there and then when you hit save it will uh, it will do a flutter pub get and uh, and it'll bring in those packages for you so it's really nice in terms of the automation for for a, a 
keeping your packages uh, current and, uh, and, and, and bringing those packages into your application. So it's really nice that way. Um, I did like the, I do like the, uh, um, the uh, look and feel of Flutter. It has the Capertino theme, but and fonts, but you can um, you can switch that out to different themes. And so, in my case for work, I'm going to have to uh, find a theme that looks closer to an application that they want to build, and uh, and so you can put that in your pub sack, and then uh, instead of using the material uh, style, you, you can use a different uh, style that someone else has built. And so that will give you the different look and feel. Images are put in the PubSec uh, as assets, so you have an asset directory, and then you copy your uh, PNG or JPEGs in there, and, uh, and then you can use, um, make a reference to assets slash and then the, the resource. And uh, so those are some of the things that are kind of common also with uh, Visual Studio with managing of images. And uh, uh, so you can have local versus external images and, and uh, that's all handled inside the PubSec. Your SDK is also handled there. The definition for your SDK is put in the PubSec. So if that was going to change, you would, you, or um, something was going to be modified there, then you would make that change there. Okay, so going back to um, where I think uh, Flutter is going. I think Flutter is going to be big and uh, because everything is programmed and uh, you're not getting caught up into the XML markup language where you're looking at lots of XML and attributes in XML. Um, I programmed in XML for a long, many years, and you know it was a, it was good. I mean, I could, I could see the properties. I could change my properties, and I did a lot of the. I didn't use the tool. I just did a lot of the programming directly by interacting with the XML. And, I did my functions and I, you know, I had to learn the event uh, firing process for ASP.NET and, and it worked and I, you know, and I ran a lot of code, um, one, one programmer running a lot of code for a company and uh, it, for several years, handled all their needs. They were able to process all the information and, and uh, it was great. Um, but one thing I realized after doing all that is that, you know, I really missed out by not separating separation of concerns. I didn't, I didn't do the object oriented approach. I had to abstract things out into uh, patterns and, uh, and then did the unit of work and the repository pattern. Didn't hadn't done that, any of that, and uh, things and the data at the um, interface were basically in one layer. 
and it was easy to do that way, but um, it made for bad reuse. And so, you know, shared data set concepts and building uh, data warehouses and data marts and data hubs makes a lot more sense uh, on the back end, and then you reuse those components, you get an object-oriented uh, diagram, the orb, that kind of helps you explain how the data relates, and then you build a series of small interactions between lots and lots of interactions in your data, and through that, you're able to do uh, kind of build a, a hierarchy tree uh, to return complex data request. And when that's separated, then you can have uh, layers that you, you go through. So you'd have data access layers. And uh, that could then uh, be uh, run over on the web API asynchronously uh, or synchronously. And uh, and then you bring those that data back, and then through link you uh, set those relationships in the data through the microservices, and uh, then you return that as a data view back to uh, Dart. And so that process will then allows for uh, multiple types of interfaces on the client side. You could have a desktop, you could have an iOS, you have an Android, and uh, but they're all going through a common language called Dart. And then Dart is a single code file, a code, not file, but it's a single code base, and that code base uh, works consistently between uh, the middle layer or the uh, controller level on the server side and then the database. So you want to get to your data and um, and then start uh, using the Dart code to drive the design of the client instead of the other way around. Now I know that there are some people that are with the non-structured database that they are uh, attempting to do it the other way around is you build your interface and then the data forms to the interface and so because it's non-structured things can be moved around and and, uh, and uh, uh, that that seems to be uh, one way to to a, attack the problem I, I like to look do everything from the database side and because uh, that's where I've spent a lot of my time and made a lot of my money is in database and so I like to have that predictability of understanding the data and then using the interface to tell the story of the data. So use your neural nets, uh, your different uh, machine learning classifiers to find rules that are in the data, uh, get those predictable and tested and uh, dynamic so that those rules can be uh, constantly updated and refreshed and machine learning can be learned, uh, retrained and, and then deployed out. So you create that pipeline in your machine learning and then utilize that pipeline uh, through Web API 
and uh, over into your dark code. And I think you'll be very satisfied. I think there'll be a lot of companies that uh, will take that approach. And um, there was a lot of money to be made uh, because of uh, this new technology that Google's put out. And, and it's free. You, know, you don't have to pay $3,000 for a, a development environment. Download Visual Studio Code. You download Android. You download X uh, Xcode. You will have to pay for uh, developer provisioning license for Xcode. You don't have to pay for that for Android. And then you can deploy your apps to the Play Store or to uh, the Playground, so you can or App Store and or the Play Store. And, th and so those are the, um, that capability is is great. You know, you can create uh, several apps. You can hook into different APIs, external APIs, weather APIs. And so the API is really become important. Uh, you can you can connect, use uh, Active Directory for your security. Uh, you can get roles and you can use those roles uh, inside your application and determine accessibility. Uh, that also could be done either on the front end or on the back end uh, through the um, credentials. You can make it token based and uh, then pass those credentials back to the, uh, the server. And then using that, you could use that for your Active Directory permissions on the server to give you uh, access to those resources. So lots of, of things that can be done with security. Um, personally, I think security should be done uh, at the web API level, and uh, you might have some uh, entry-level security to give you access to the app in case someone were able to get access to your device. You don't want information to be escaping out that way. So anyway, those are some options, and I'll talk to you next week.